Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Breakaway Podcast. If you're still listening or tuning in, spam. Sparks Glencoe, Maryland. I have no idea what that is. You can tell this is real time, and I don't edit it because that was my phone. So, if you're tuning in, it's Cinco de Mayo. I appreciate you still being patient with me. I was under the rock for about a month, licking my wounds from the stock market. The opinions expressed by me on this podcast are solely my own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Hathaway Financial. This is for informational entertainment purposes only. Here we go. I need to fix that music, don't I? Okay, so let's just jump in here. I'm going to talk about the markets, Twitter, Tesla, tech, Netflix. I know, I should just call this a Netflix Tesla podcast. Although I have an announcement that I might be making. I may stop talking about Netflix because they're just so... They're so ridiculous of late. But for now, uh, let's go. So, and I'm going to just talk about tech, technology stocks and, and the whole industry in general. But right now, right now, the stocks stock market is down 13% year to date. And the technology indices, uh, often referred to as like the NASDAQ 100, uh, or you can buy that in like an index fund like QQQ is a very popular one. Vanguard also has a good one, VGT. They're down 22% year to date. So technology is getting pummeled. Stocks are down, the general stock market is down 13%. And the question is, is this the bottom? So the issue is, the sad part that I have to report is we've had the, the in, in recent history, last couple of decades, the last market crash was known as the 2000 dot com crash. And that went on for actually like three years, 2000, 2001, 2002. The total stock market crashed 37% approximately over the course of those three years. And then in 2008, we had what was called the Great Recession. And that, that was largely driven by, you know, the, the real estate bubble and mortgage-backed securities and all that garbage. And that resulted in a crash of 37%. And now we're having the 2022, I think we're, 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 we're settling or landing on what's called the Great Reset. But we'll see what history uh, deems this as. And so far, we're only down 13%. And we'll... Uh, Oh, sorry, this is the 08 recession. I said it was down 37%. So the 2000 recession, the 08 recession, both down 37%. Today, we're only down 13%. And so the, what's what's basically holding the stock market up right now is the energy sector. I never was going to invest in energy just because I, I don't know. I try to just, I, I like growth stocks. I like profitable growth stocks. I like a company that is growing and profitable. Apple's a great example though of that. Netflix used to be an example of that. I'll give you some other examples. But the energy index is up 45% year to date. So that's kind of what's propping the market up. And then you've got like, you know, your Apple. I think Apple's only down 12% uh, year to date. I can check that real quick. Yeah, Apple's down 12.8%. I'm a little worried about them, but um, I'll get to that in a second. So, so what's going on here? So what's causing the 2022 Great Reset at a very high level, it is the insane monetary policy that we implemented uh, actually during the whole entire last decade. Money's been, interest rates have been really, really cheap. I don't even know if they've ever been over 5% over the last decade. And then they went down to basically near zero or at zero for the last couple of years because of COVID. And then the government pumped money into the, into the markets by issuing stimulus checks 
and in order to pay, we didn't have the tax revenue to pay for that. So they would just send you and me, well, not me, but a lot of us money. And then to do that, they would print a, a bond saying, oh, normally they print these government bonds and treasuries. And then other people, maybe Japan or China or even uh, stockholders like, 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 or investors would go buy them, but then nobody would buy them. So they would literally just go buy them themselves. <laughs> That's literally like the definition of printing money. So now they've got this, what they call when you hear them talking about the balance sheet, balance sheet is like $13 trillion. Okay, so now we have to scale. Now we've got inflation. There's too much money in the system. Prices are super high. And everybody's freaking out that the interest, now, now Jerome Powell is coming out and the Fed and they're raising interest rates. And this is just basically a market reaction. Okay, so you raise interest rates. A lot of people and, and institutions and particularly hedge funds have borrowed money in order to buy stocks. That's called leverage. And so now they have to unlever because interest rates are going up. And so then they have to sell stocks. So now you're seeing this big sell-off. And it, these cycles just basically happen every 10 years. So that's what's going on. So, so speaking of the Fed, so Jerome Powell came out yesterday and he said he's going to address all of this. One, they're going to raise interest rates. By, they already did by 0.5%. So now interest rate target is 0.75 to 1%. That's not the interest rate you see on your credit card. That's the interbank lending rate, basically. It's like what the Fed lends money to banks for. So then the bank turns around and lends to you. They're going to charge you more because the bank wants to make money, obviously. So And his goal is to get us up to two, two and a half. So they're going to raise rates like for the rest of this year. So the market was didn't like that. And then they also said they're going to start selling off those assets on the balance sheet, like I was talking about. That's called quantitative tightening. So they got a $13 trillion balance sheet. They got to sell them off. They're going to start selling $100 billion a month. So I was just like high level, it's like a trillion a year. Markets don't like this. So look, here, here's my issue with all of this is I think that the fundamental, the Fed is trying to control inflation basically through the only tool it has, which is, which is controlling the money supply. But the problem is... And, I, and it's not, they're not stupid. These guys are like pretty smart. But the problem, the fundamental problem with, is with inflation is it's, it's caused by two things right now. It's, it's supply chains, it's COVID, and it's the war. Okay, the war in Ukraine, which is all of these sanctions in place. It's creating all sorts of ripples through supply chains. And then you've got potential food and famine issues going on because Ukraine and Russia are some of the biggest uh, exporters of fertilizer and wheat and some other commodities, oil, obviously, Russia, in the world. And so this war is wreaking havoc on, on global supply chains. The, the other issue with supply chains is COVID in China. It's like we cannot get past this COVID. Finally, in the United States, it seems like we've got, I think because of the, the uh, elections going on, the midterms in November, I think that there's been a policy shift by the White House, and, and I'm just going to say Democrats in general, to, re, to, re, to relax these COVID restrictions. And so now China's just gone in the opposite direction. Oh my goodness. So the, that wasn't spam, that was actually a friend of mine. So China's gone in the opposite direction, and Shanghai has been shut down for weeks. Apparently they just opened up again. But of course, we don't even need to go into how much of our supply chain is connected to China. So basically, You've got COVID in China, you've got war in Ukraine and in Russia, and then our government thinks that we are going to stop inflation by raising interest rates here. 
look, that's one piece of the puzzle. But here's what we got to do. We're This economy is ready to skyrocket if we would just let it. We have tons of businesses uh, in the United States, especially high tech, exporting great services globally. We have more job openings than we've ever had in the history of the United States. We're going into summer. We are ready to boom if we could just... I think we need to we need to drive for a settlement, a peace agreement. You can argue, of course, hey, Putin's bad. Putin shouldn't have invaded. Let's punish him. I agree with all of that. But I also think let's just end this thing, man. Let's just end the war. Give him some concessions. Let him give him build. Let him build. You know, build him a golden bridge to retreat upon. And let's move on. And that'll help a lot with the economy. Then China opens. If we get this war over, and China open, we are going to have a great Q4 and heading right into Christmas season, Q or holidays, you know, Q, Q4. Uh, sorry, great end of Q3, good Q4. Okay, so oh, here's another. So, so, so just to kind of conclude on all this, I feel like the Fed is inducing a recession to a certain extent. What I mean by that is because the stock market are so down. And by the way, some of these stocks have been crushed, 70, 80, 90% some of these stocks. So people feel broke. People are panicking. People feel poor. And this is what's called consumer confidence. And so when you see your stock market, even though it's just on paper, or when you see your 401k, that is, or your brokerage statement, you see that you've lost 40% or even 20%. You know what you do? You say, you know what? We can hold off another year on buying that car. Oh, we can, we don't actually need to, to you know, borrow against our portfolio to, or, or home to, to do a remodel. So it's going to drive, it could drive, you know, it's called, it could be a Fed-induced recession and due to consumer confidence. But, you know, to their point, it's going to bring down the, the rate of inflation, but we don't want to bring down inflation at the cost of jobs and the economy. So it's a very, 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 you know, fine line that the, the Fed has to kind of walk. And it's not just the Fed, it's policymakers. Okay. Let's move on. Shopify and Twilio, two great examples of <laughs> companies they just reported, I think, last night and this morning. These are two good companies. I mean, Shopify is profitable. 22% revenue, year-over-year revenue growth, highly profitable. They're kind of like considered not the Amazon killer, but somebody who could like, Amazon would clearly point to them as as somebody who's enabling enabling business to compete with them. So I can open up a website very easily, have payments, payment collections and all that and sell things on Shopify. And then you got Twilio, uh, another tech company. They're up 48% year over year revenue growth. They're not quite profitable yet, but definitely a road to get there. They've got a ton of money, so they're just investing in growth, growth, growth. Both those stocks hammered today, just hammered. I mean, it's like you can't do anything right in these markets. All right, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about Twitter, obviously, so take a drink of water there. Elon Musk is going, I mean, unless you're, you've been under a rock or, you know, hiking through the Himalayas or the Patagonia, you would know that Elon Musk is buying Twitter now for $44 billion. He's put together financing, very complex arrangement of debt and uh, some of his own money. And then that debt is secured against shares of Tesla. So if Tesla stock goes down, they could actually call that to call that stock, you'd have to sell. It's kind of risky for Tesla. A lot of Tesla stockholders don't like this. But since he has put together this offer, and I won't go, I spent a whole podcast on just the, te- the Twitter offer. It's awesome. But now 
He's gone and spent the last couple of weeks getting people to come on board with him. So since Twitter accepted his offer, again, that's a whole other story for a whole other podcast. Really, really fascinating thing there. But um, now just came out today in the news that he's got, oh, 10 plus other kind of like private equity hedge funds, individuals. Larry, Larry Ellison, who is the founder of Oracle, multi-multi-billionaire, one of the richest people in the world. He, he is putting, he's going to back back $1 billion of equity commitment to the, to the deal now. Um, Apollo Group, just these big, like, uh, private equity, hedge funds, etc. I don't think it's hedge funds, but private equity. So the point is, now, <laughs> now Musk is coming in and saying, hey, I'm going to take, I've got more backers, so I don't have to pledge as much of my Tesla stock. And we're going to turn Twitter around, and then we're going to take, we're going to take it private, so... And then we're going to take it public again in three years. Take it private means it's not going to, like if you own the stock, you're probably going to have to, cap, they're probably going to pay you cash and you're going to have to take that price. It's $54. You'll make some money. It's generally higher than it's been for years. Um, there might be a way for some people to get an equity to stay in it as a private company, but it, it seems unlikely unless you're a very, very, very large shareholder. So I think that's really cool. I, I Look, there's so much in the news. I don't have time on this podcast. Again, it's a whole other podcast on the politics of this. But there was a vicious article in the New York Times today basically talking about, I mean, the New York Times, I mean, geez, I subscribe to them and this is almost over the top, like I need to unsubscribe. Like they, they, they wrote that he's basically grew up uh, super privileged, private school, was, you know, walled off from apartheid and those views um, are affecting probably his views today on how he's going to manage Twitter. It's just the most ridiculous article. And it, people are blowing up all over the news today on what the New York Times wrote. I think, I don't think they can re, re, redact it, but I've got to think they're, they're, they're regretting uh, letting that, that article out. I mean, they're just trashing Elon Musk. And he's created, you know, two of the most valuable companies in the United States and SpaceX and, and Tesla. Uh, I still continue to believe Tesla will be the most valuable company in the world in the next few years, surpassing Apple. And then I've read, they, I think they have over 100,000 employees at Tesla now. And then, if, and then he's made statements like if you look outside the ecosystem of Tesla and suppliers and all that, they've created hundreds of thousands of jobs. So point is, he's a good guy and he wants good things. He's backing a company that's exploring space with the mission of landing, you know, going to Mars. And he's backing Tesla, which arguably is the most consequential significant, impactful, important company in the world today fighting kind of climate change in that they are the most impactful electric vehicle manufacturer, solar and battery manufacturer. Okay. So by the way, on more on Tesla here real quick, I'm going to play a clip because you don't want to hear me talk the whole time, but I will just kind of preface this with they had this is a while back now it's been a couple weeks but their q1 was like records all the way around i'll just read a summary first quarter of 22 is another record quarter for tesla uh record revenues record vehicle deliveries record operating profit and operating margin over 19 percent they basically have no debt outstanding and here is a little discussion by elon musk here we go uh, only crossed uh, 1 million units in the in the past uh, 12 months uh, recently and uh, we are we aspire to head to 20 million units here so we're basically five percent along the way to, uh, for towards our goal 
So he's saying they're only at five percent where they want to be in terms of manufacturing. Very, 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 you know, very, very rapidly, year over year, um, and uh, remain confident of exceeding fifty percent uh, annual growth uh, for the foreseeable future for basically several years, several of the next years. I mean, so his CFO is probably kind of squirming in his seat right now, but Elon is saying that they're going to do 50% growth, 50% revenue growth for the foreseeable future. Completely unheard of for a company of this size and scale. So, yeah. Um, And then there's, of course, Optimus, which... So now he's going to talk about, this is, I just want you to the reason I'm playing this is because I just want people to understand how far out they're thinking he is. And so far, everything he said, yeah, he gets a lot of flack for not delivering on time, but he's always delivered. He always delivers. And the whole story is SpaceX. Go watch go watch the documentary on Netflix. I can't remember what it's called. It's really, really good, though. Um, and, yeah, they nobody thought he could build a rocket. I mean, who, even today, like... He started this 20 years ago, but even today, if that didn't exist, and you said, oh, I'm going to go build a rocket company, you'd get laughed out of the room. Well, he did it. So now he's talking about Optimus, which is the, the basically the humanoid robot that they're going to build. Uh, I was surprised that people did not realize the, the magnitude of the Optimus robot program. Uh, this, the importance of Optimus will become apparent in the coming years. Uh, those who are insightful or listen carefully uh, will understand that Optimus ultimately will be worth more than the car business, worth more than FSD. That's my firm belief. All right, I'll leave it there. So he and he goes on. And on. I mean, I, I always encourage people to listen. If you want to hear some inspiration, listen to the earnings calls that he's on. And he said he's not going to be on them anymore. I think he's only missed one, one though. Um, so. He's saying that Optimus is going to be worth more than the than the auto business, the car business. Okay, right now Wall Street isn't even valuing the fact that they are expanding. So here's more news for you. So they've now basically announced that they're expanding. They're going to double their production, build another gigafactory in, in Shanghai. They're going to build another gigafactory in Texas. They're not even ramped up in Texas yet. And... It just rumored today in the news that they just that they're trying to buy the land right next to Giga Berlin and build another factory there. Again, they're not ramped up in Berlin. This is absolutely genius. So they're basically tripling or doubling because they have one, two, three. They have four manufacturing plants. Okay, Fremont, Shanghai, Texas, and Berlin, and they're adding three more. So whatever that math is, almost doubling their their manufacturing supply. Um, it's not even. It's, it's like more than double because today they don't even have. Texas and Berlin ramped up. It's just, it's completely unheard of the scale that they're moving to and how fast they are and their ability to manufacture EVs at scale and at a cost that is so much lower than traditional auto. So, eh, again, not investment advice, but boy, oh boy, I would never, ever, ever bet against Tesla. There's, I know there's a lot of people out there, a lot of retail investors with all their eggs in that basket. Look, I think Tesla could get punished a little bit here if the stock market keeps turning down and, and this and the great reset continues happening. But five years from now, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a great you're gonna look back and be like, wow, that was a 
if you didn't invest them, you're going to say, well, how, you're probably going to say, how did I miss that one? Again, only for long-term investors with risk appetite. Okay, let's talk about Netflix. I can't go an episode without talking about Netflix. It's my beloved ex-employer. Boy, oh boy, did they shit the bed. So they, this for, I think the last time, I'm going to speak high level. I just get, uh, my stomach starts nodding up when I go into detail here. But they haven't lost subscribers since the year 2011, I think it is. I actually started working there in 2012. And they, their biggest debacle where they shot themselves in the foot in 2011 is when they tried to split the DVD business and the streaming business and they raised prices. A bunch of people canceled. Reed Hastings actually went on and like did some YouTube or something, basically issued an apology. Now, Netflix lost subscribers in Q1, okay? Now, some of that, they technically gained about 200K subs, which is, just call that immaterial. On a 220 million base, they gained 200K. It's basically immaterial. Um, but they lost 700,000 uh, because they turned off Russia, which is another topic of discussion. Point is, they're flat to down in Q1, which is historically their biggest quarter, Q4 and Q1. And then they guided a loss of 2 million subs in Q2. So we go, it's basically, in summary, two quarters of loss. Two quarters of losing subscribers. That is atrocious. That is that is mismanagement by management. And and let me tell you where they stumbled, in my opinion. And I could be wrong, I'm sure people will argue with me. One, in Q4, they raised the cost of the of the of subscription. I know they raised it in the United States, Canada, I think maybe Europe. I know they did it in the United States though. And they did it to a point they raised it into a content slate that was weak. So, and and into an environment where consumers are starting to get a little bit more cost conscious. So why would you, and they knew that their guidance was gonna be weak. So why would you ever raise prices when you're guiding weak? What are they thinking? And they say, they tell the street to concentrate on revenue. Oh, this is revenue accretive is what they say. Dude, the street doesn't care. We want more subscribers. And then you can grow revenue once you get the subscribers, right? Increase their price gradually but get them in your ecosystem. So the big mistake was couplefold. One, they raise prices, and then two, their content slate sucks. I think that there's, you know, Elon Musk tweeted something about their woke programming. I think he said, the woke mind virus has made Netflix unwatchable. Okay, so, you know, it's, it's an opinion, okay? There, but I'm gonna say, without going into detail, there's been a couple shows that have turned me off that I used to like. And I just said, wow, they've all of a sudden bringing all these woke politics into this TV show. I hear about it all day at work. You know, diversity, inclusion, it's in the newspapers. It's, you know, Antifa and, and, and all the stuff. Okay, so now I got to listen to it in this TV show that I'm watching on Netflix? No. So I think that a lot of people have similar thoughts. Their programming slate just overall, though, besides the wokeness, kind of just got like really, really voluminous and not that good. So now you've got like HBO and Apple TV putting out really good programming. So I think their competition in the United States is stiff. And I think they're going to continue to see, have a significant uphill battle there. But I would, I would um, hypothesize that internationally they still have a big advantage because their biggest hit, their biggest TV hit to, to date was Squid Game. Squid Games, which I binged and watched it. And uh, that was like a relatively low-cost production in South Korea that traveled the globe. So they still have this scale with all of these developments and projects going on internationally. And they, so they, they could have some breakout hits. Oh, the other thing that they're doing wrong is they need to, they need to um, 
they need to start, uh, what do you call it, staggering their release. So they don't need to release all eight episodes in a quarter. And I think they're doing, we're going to see that with Stranger Things. I think they're releasing four or five in Q2 here and then four or five in Q3. So they're starting to to um, relax their their religion on on release schedules and uh, but I don't know how long it's going to take them to turn around this content slate because it's it's not great right now. Their stock's down 72%. So the, the other problem that they had is is there's, I, I call it 2011 Netflix meets 2001.com crash. And because that's what happened. We're, we're in a crash right now, like I said, starting out this episode. We're seeing the 2001.com crash right now in their economy. And then... And then Netflix has has kind of doubled down on that with their 2011 shooting themselves in the foot. They've shot themselves in the foot uh, Q, Q1 and Q2 here by having pretty much not good content and raising prices too quickly. Okay, I'm going to close out here. Uh, look, there are, I have this table here. I'm going to list some stocks just so you, you can understand the pain. There's a lot of paper millionaires like in the dot-com bus that are that are not uh, or, or that are significantly uh, feeling pain right now. So here is a list of companies. So I've got here Stitch Fix down 91%. I've got Peloton down 90%. Lemonade 88%. Robinhood 88%. I'll just stick to the Zoom video 82%. And by the way, Zoom video is profitable. They're actually kicking out cash. Uh, Zillow, I own them, 78%. Roku, I own them, 79%. Roblox, I own them, 76% down. Palantir, 76% down. Twilio, I mentioned them earlier, 75 Down the list, Shopify, 70 I mean, All these stocks are down. Netflix, Coinbase, PayPal, DoorDash, Etsy, Snap, Lyft, Block, Snowflake, Uber, all down over 50%. The list just goes on. Then you've got your big caps. So Apple's kind of holding this whole sector up. They're only down 13%. I'm a little worried about them, though. They still have a relatively high price-to-sales ratio of 6.7. I'm running late here, so I'm not going to go into what the price-sales ratio is, but it's 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 still somewhat high, arguably. Apple could feel some pain. They could feel some pain. I could see them going down to 100 because um, their growth isn't even that fast. They're only 9% growth year-over-year. Year. Okay recommendations boy oh boy go to mexico uh nuevo Vallarta. i was just there with my family had a blast all-inclusive use costco vacations i think they do a great job at, at kind of sifting through sifting through what's what's good what's not on tv with my family we're, we're still we went back to Shits creek uh we, we don't watch a lot of tv everyone's so busy my kids are swimming wife's busy working i'm busy it's summertime you know go out and have fun uh, get out there and, uh, you know, play some golf, play some tennis, go for hikes, go for a bike ride, and enjoy yourself. And uh, that's it, and I will uh, talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening. And if you ever want to be a guest, don't be shy. Go ahead and hit me up, especially if you disagree with me on something. Let's, let's hash it out. Talk to you all later. Bye-bye.